You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as we continue in our series of Authentic Disciple. John chapter 14, what does it mean to be an authentic disciple? What is it, what, what are marks of an authentic disciple? What is the benefits, uh, if you will, of being an authentic disciple? John chapter 14. While you're turning there, let me share with you just a personal story. It's happened over the course of my life when I was 15 years old. My grandfather passed away. My grandfather was the rock in my life. I did not have a concept of a loving God that would allow a grandson who dearly loved his grandfather to die. I I was a Christian. I, I was saved when I was 10 years old, but I did not understand that part of life. I didn't understand that part of God. And because I went through uh, normal emotions of grief, uh, I checked out uh, because I didn't take those normal emotions uh, to God. I had the normal emotions that anybody would feel when someone they love passes away. For seven years, I ran from the Lord. Just a few years ago, His wife, my grandmother, whom I dearly loved, who prayed passionately for me all of those years that I was running from the Lord, prayed passionately for me as I began in ministry, prayed passionately for me up until I believe the the last day before she died. She died, had the same emotions that I had when my grandfather passed away. But yet, because of my faith, because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and God, my faith wasn't destroyed. I didn't check out. What's the difference? What, what, what is the difference? I, I love them both equally. Both of them were major influencers in my life. What was different? What was different was my knowledge of God. I knew him as a 15-year-old boy, but I didn't know him like I know him as a, at that 45-year-old man. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a 15-year-old or 12-year-old, you can know him as well as I knew him at 45. You can have the same amount of faith, the same amount of trust. Maybe you're here this, this evening and, or this morning and you're 80 or 90 years old. Maybe you need to grow in your trust and your knowledge of God. Authentic disciple. Main thrust that I want to share with you this morning is authentic disciples do not have to live with a troubled heart. 
Authentic disciples do not have to live with a troubled heart. Look with me, if you will, John chapter 14. And to help you understand a little bit of the context, this Jesus is answering uh, Peter's denial or Peter's question. So if we back up, and I, I won't have this on the screen, so if you brought your Bible, you'll be able to see this. John chapter 13. Let's back up just a second. John chapter 13, verse 36. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? To which Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Here's where we're at in the life of Jesus. We're just a couple hours away from his uh, from his arrest, less than 24 hours away from his crucifixion. And he has told the disciples that he is going to be arrested. He has told his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. And now that they have heard that Peter, their, their leader of the 12, if you will, is going to deny him, not once, but, but three times. Jesus knows their heart. He knows what's going on inside of their mind. He knows the emotions that they are feeling at this very moment. And you remember who he's talking to. Judas has already left. He's only talking to the 11 disciples. Authentic men of God. Authentic disciples. Perfect? Absolutely not. We'll see in just a few uh, chapters later where they all check out. So they're not perfect men, sinful men, but authentic. And look at what Jesus says to them in John chapter 14, really a response to Peter's question. Jesus says to the 11, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of you will like the King James Version that says many mansions. <laughs> You're like, I, I want a mansion. I don't want a room. My Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Look at verse 8. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Verse 12. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me, Jesus says, 
will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Father, will you speak to us? Will you teach us? Will you shape and mold us by your word? This is your word spoken for us for this day. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. This morning, we will only have time to get to about verse 7. This evening, I will come back and I will unpack verses 8 through 14. But the first thing I want you to see is authentic disciples do not have to live with a troubled heart. Do you see how Jesus clearly says that to these that are sold out followers of Jesus Christ? Men, do not have a troubled heart, Jesus says to them. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say, or notice what I don't say in that title or in that point. Authentic disciples do not have to live with a troubled heart. I didn't say that authentic disciples would have lives absent from trouble. I believe that some have come to faith believing that if they give their life to Christ, everything will be okay. And I'm here to tell you, nothing is further than the truth. Your, or, your eternity is okay, but as a follower of Christ, an authentic disciple, it doesn't mean that we will live a life absent from trouble. Authentic disciples will not always be in the in crowd. You follow me? Authentic disciples will not always be in the in crowd. Authentic disciples will often be socially persecuted. Authentic disciples will increasingly be politically persecuted. Authentic disciples will often feel the pressure of being in the world, but not of the world. We will feel that that tension of being in the world, but not of the world. There's often the the pressure or the tension of authentic disciples being a stranger in your own community, maybe possibly in your own family. Authentic disciples will feel like a stranger in their own workplace. They'll feel like sometimes that they are the only one that are standing for the morals and the values that we read about in God's Word. they, They feel like they are the only one. Even at school, often you can feel that way, being an authentic disciple. But listen, authentic disciples, calendar is different. Priorities are different. Values are different. As an authentic disciple, our budgets are different. They will all be different than the lost world or even if you were, that to, they will be different than the cultural Christianity that is so popular today. They will all be different. And because of this pressure, because of this tension of feeling like you are a stranger in your own circle, because uh, your, your calendar, your, valendar, your, 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 your values, your priorities, your, your budget, because all of that is different, there will be times that Christians will feel 
lonely. We'll feel frustrated. And here's the danger. Difficult situations can turn into depressing mental attitudes with destructive habits. Let me say that again. Difficult situations can turn into depressing mental attitudes with destructive habits. Let me give you an example. 15-year-old boy whose grandfather passes away and he doesn't have the knowledge of how God could still love him and allow his grandfather to pass away. So he doesn't have a category for that. He doesn't know how to live with that. And so there's destructive actions that take place because of depressing mental attitude. You following Listen, authentic disciples do not have to live with a troubled heart. Look with me again in verse 1. Jesus says in verse 1, He commands us. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, hey, as you are going through life, let me give you a tip. Jesus isn't tipping us here. He is commanding us. Don't let your heart be troubled. Another way you could say it is this, is don't be overcome with turmoil. Is there turmoil in your life, in your family, in your school, in your place of work? Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't be overcome by the turmoil. Or maybe here's another way of saying it, is don't be intimidated by the situation you find yourself in. I think often of this politically. I think of where we're at socially as a, as, a, as a country right now. That we can be intimidated. And, and God or Jesus is saying here, don't be intimidated by the situation you find yourself in. Commands us, don't let your heart be troubled. Now remember the context. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to 11 guys who has sold out everything. They, they, they've sold their boats. They've sold their, their, uh, their, their, their tax collecting business. They have no way of making a living. They have checked out. They've left their families, and they're following Jesus. And they have just heard, this is just on the heels of Jesus saying, I am about to be turned over to the, to the Jews. I'm going to be arrested. One of you is going to betray me. They don't, now Judas has already left at this time, but they don't know if it was Judas or, or one of the others. Peter, they're fearless leaders. They've heard, they've heard again, they've heard that he's, he's going to deny Christ three times. And Jesus commands this group of men that he's just washed their feet. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let this news that has come to you intimidate you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Some might say that Jesus' command is thoughtless. How in the world could he say that at such a time? Shouldn't he have waited until he, you know, ascended or, or, or until he rose from the grave? Then, then tell him that. I mean, this is kind of bad time, isn't it? No, absolutely not. Listen, Jesus' command isn't thoughtless. It isn't heartless. 
Jesus doesn't lack sympathy. Oh, this is a sympathetic command. Because Jesus knows, listen, if they continue following their troubled heart, it is going to take them to a place that they don't want to go. Just like that 15-year-old boy who checked out. And so Jesus is giving a very sympathetic command. Don't let your heart be troubled. Listen, as authentic disciples, going through life, no matter what trials come our way, Jesus would say to us, is saying to us, don't let your heart be troubled. What does Jesus do after he gives this command? He asks the question, or he's, he's making this statement. It's, it's actually both. Believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, he's saying this. As you believe, as you have believed, keep on believing. Don't stop believing that God is the answer. As you believe, keep on believing. And then Jesus does something very interesting here. He gives the command. Then he also commands them, continue to believe. And then he, oh, this is so good here. He, he refocuses their attention with seven promises. I want you to remember these seven promises. No matter what trial, no matter what situation you find yourself walking through. Listen to what Jesus does. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. Promise number one. There is room for everyone. Not everyone is going to receive Christ, but there is room for everyone. But you know what that word room, it, it, it's... It, it was translated, and I say, she's translated poorly in the King James to say mansions, because it's not, it's not the, the picture of a mansion changes, I mean, you, as, as our time changes. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a mansion, it's, it is a, it is rooms, but, but the most literal understanding is this, there's rest, there's rest. Think about it for a moment. As you go through the trials, as you go through the struggles of life, as the, as the persecution increases, Jesus refocuses them from what is currently going on, the current situation, to saying, listen, I want you to get your eyes on eternity. Rest is coming. In my Father's house are many rooms or rest. That's promise number one. Promise number two is this. This seems so basic, but it's a, it's a promise. Look at what he says. If not, I would have told you. If not, I would have told you. Here's what Jesus is saying. I, my word is sufficient for all of your needs. If, if you needed something else to go through this trial of me being arrested, of me ultimately being crucified, of one of you uh, 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 denying me and one of you turning me over, if you needed something else, I would have given you something else. But listen, I didn't tell you that, that I wasn't going to come back. My word is sufficient. If not, I would have told you. 
third promise is this. I'm going away. I'm going away. Oh, but it's a great thing that Jesus is going away. Look at the fourth promise. To prepare a place for you. Our rest, our room, or if you want to go with King James, our mansion is a prepared place just for us. Notice he's just, he's getting their attention on eternity instead of the current situation that they find themselves in. The fifth promise is this, if I go away and prepare a place for you, oh, here's the good news. I'm not going to go away and never coming back. I will come again. Oh, what a glorious promise that Jesus is going to return. Sixth promise, and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. What did these disciples want more than anything else? They wanted to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is promising them, listen, a day is coming that I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And then look at the seventh promise. You know the way to where I'm going. You know the way to where I'm going. Now, he's going to unpack that a little bit later on in, in, in verses 8 and in, in following. I just want you, to, I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. He's given them what seems to be a hard command. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Continue to believe in God. As you believe in God, continue to believe in me. Get your eyes off of the current situation. You're going to walk through it, but I'm going to walk through it with you. Get your eyes on eternity. Listen, because of the promises of God, authentic disciples do not have to live with a troubled heart. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you, four different scriptures with you. And I want you to write these down in the margin of your Bible or in some place in a note. These are fantastic scriptures to go to as you find yourself walking through trial. Listen to what it says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself, listen to this, will Himself restore. Going through a trial? Going through a dark season? God of all grace will himself restore you. But not only that, establish you. Not only that, it keeps going, strengthen you and support you after, notice this phrase here, after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Another fantastic verse to read and, and to really meditate on as we're going through a trial. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider, the Apostle Paul, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That he, he could, if he was one of the disciples at that moment when Jesus says that, 
he could say like he could say this. Man, I I don't want to see what's going to happen to Jesus. I I, I don't I, I can't imagine what is going to happen, but that's not where my focus is. I can't imagine not walking with him every day. I can't imagine not getting to hear him pray. I can't imagine not seeing him feed 5,000 with a few fish and loaves of bread. But Paul would say this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time or the difficulties of, of what is to come isn't worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, he's saying man, my, my focus is not on this moment. My focus is not on this situation. My focus is on eternity, which is exactly what Jesus is doing in those seven promises. Let me give you a couple more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And I don't know what you might be going through. But I want you to hear this text for everything that it is. He says, for our momentary light affliction. You say, wait, wait a minute. My, my, my affliction isn't light whatsoever. It is compared to the glory of eternity. Which is what Paul is saying. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Do you see what he's saying? This, this, this trial, this, this affliction, this, what we are going through for this moment, there is a purpose behind it. And the purpose behind it is creating this, this incomparable eternal weight of glory, a desire for eternity. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, I'll close with this one, or, or in, not close the sermon, but I'm close though. Hebrews chapter 12, I didn't want anybody to get your hopes up. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. But watch this, later on, however, it yields the, the fruit of that pain. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see what these four texts are teaching us. Couple these with John chapter 14 and this command and these seven promises. Is that, that there is a purpose. And that there is a promise for every trial that we go through. We do not, listen, authentic disciples will never, I guarantee, I can promise my life on this, authentic disciples will never go through a trial where there isn't also a purpose for God's glory and a promise from God. That's what these texts are showing us. There's a purpose and a promise. Authentic disciples do not have to live without a troubled heart. That's point number one. Point number two is authentic disciples do not have to doubt their eternity. Authentic disciples do not have to doubt, question their eternity. Look with me in verse 5. Oh, Thomas. Nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Look at what he says. He asked Jesus a question. Lord, we don't, underline this word in your Bible, no. 
He, he, he's lacking knowledge. He thinks he is, but Jesus is going to assure him. He's lacking knowledge. We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Underline that second no there as well. Authentic disciples do not have to doubt their eternity. This is what Jesus is about to give. Jesus is about to give them seven promises of assurance. Seven promises of assurance that we don't have to doubt our eternity. This is what he's giving Thomas. He's giving it for for all of us. Look at what he says. Verse 6, Jesus told them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, now, now listen, that a lot of times we just we hear that in 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 some in maybe an evangelistic message, which is totally applicable there. But listen, remember this in context, what he's saying. You you guys have been with me. You guys know me. Listen, and you can know. Where I am going, no one comes to the Father except through me. You guys have been with me. You've accepted me. You are, you are following me. You know that I am the Messiah. So he's assuring Thomas, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Seven promises there. I am the way, promise number one. I am the truth, promise number two. I am the life, promise number three. No one comes to the Father except through me, promise number four. Promise number five is if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, promise number six. Promise number seven is you have seen him. I am the way, Jesus. I am the truth. Again, Jesus is getting their focus off of their current situation the trial that they're going and he's getting their eyes he's getting their focus on eternity listen authentic disciples are assured by Christ himself that every trial is accompanied by a promise it's accompanied by a purpose Listen, God will use every trial to make your faith stronger. Every single one of them, God will use to make your faith stronger. He promises His presence with every trial, and He refocuses our attention on the gift of eternity. But here's the truth. There are some that are hearing this message who are not authentic disciples. You're following Jesus at the moment. You like some of what he offers. You agree with some of what he says. You depend on him some of the time. You worship him at convenient times. You depend on him when you need to. You're thankful he is good, but to be honest, not really interested in that he is just. Here's what I want you to know, and I think you probably already know this, that you will walk through some of the same trials that authentic disciples will, but you will walk through them with no promise. You will walk through them no purpose, and you will walk through them with no hope of eternity with God. 
And I am begging you this morning to see the love of Jesus Christ when he says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, no one, there will not be one person in heaven who will talk God into letting them in because of their church membership. No one. No one will stand before God and talk him into letting them in because they were a good person. They were an honest businessman or businesswoman. No one will be able to enter into the presence of heaven without being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. If you don't know him today, I plead with you. Don't wait. None of us are guaranteed. None of us are promised another moment. Our life could be taken from us like that. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.